Isolation. Greetings, everyone. I hope your day is going A-OK. Time for an APB in medical device sales, an SOS, so to speak. Safe orthopedic sales as the DIY way of doing this job. It's on the canvas. It's a TKO. So if sales growth in your territory is A-W-O-L-M-I-A, then pull up a chair, B-Y-O-B. No, bring your own boxes and get ready for an inspiring conversation and even more acronyms as we talk with the Assistant Vice President for Sourcing and Medical Device Management at LifePoint Health. Greg Mace, HMBA. You're going to want to stick around for that as we talk about GPOs, IDNs, REPS. Yes, you and me. It's a supply chain spectacular here on Device Nation, the voice of operative orthopedics. Well, while we're burying you in acronyms today, what about MPGs? Challenging times in the box opener world right now as gas prices are going up. Teams are getting bigger, which means in many cases, your drives are getting longer. I address this very issue by recently purchasing a Toyota Tundra. Is there any vehicle with worse gas mileage on the planet? The electronics are so dated in this vehicle. I know this sounds weird, but the only XM channel I can pull up is the 90 station. (laughs) Well, it's not all doom and gloom here. The truck rides great and is super reliable as we certainly chew up the windshield time in this job. As I look out my windshield on these drives, I survey billboards for some weird reason. There always seems to be one with an air of the ridiculous that catches my eye. Like the one I shared about some time ago with the smiling couple advertising a funeral home. Putting the fun back in funeral was the caption I thought they should have put on that one. I saw the same theme last week, a law firm billboard asking, big rig wreck? And naturally, it showed a semi bearing down on an attorney grinning ear to ear. Strange days, indeed. A semi took out an armadillo outside my neighborhood the other day, and I assure you this amazing creature was not smiling about that at all. Very sad, as these are really cool creatures to look at when they're not upside down in rigor mortis. (laughs) I remember explaining this phenomenon to my kids when they were young. Well, they're just sleeping. I'm not sure they bought that then. Well, as I pondered that sad sight the other day, it occurred to me how that very rigor mortis will not be our friend in the current business of medicine climate we find ourselves in. I know what you're thinking. Kevin, do you really think you can pull off using roadkill as a motivational framework this week? Well, hold my laser pointer. So let's develop this thought. What is rigor mortis? Rigor mortis is a chemical change resulting in the stiffening of the body's muscles following death, resulting from changes in the myofibrillation fibrils of the muscle tissues. Well, what exactly does that have to do with device sales? It is so easy to find a formula in this business that kind of works in our territory and we just kind of get stuck there. We're in our comfort zone, even if it's for all the right reasons, none of which involve getting hit by a truck. It can sneak up on you and before you know it, you're inflexible and your way of approaching this business, that caretaker rep model we've been talking about, it's very susceptible to these so-called chemical changes. As I have talked to the people in the private equity, GPO, IDN, and supply chain world, I am convinced that the overtaker will carry this new day, one that is not in rigor mortis at all. This particular rep is dynamic, loose, flexible, and ready to embrace the unthinkable to achieve the unimaginable. That's a good line, isn't it? Well, on a side note, but completely related, I was talking to a professional photographer in Coleman, Alabama the other day, one of the best places, apparently, to raise a family. Beautiful town, 
had a burger at a local restaurant there. The waitress was warning me, you're either going to love this thing or you're going to hate it before I even ordered it. Why, I asked. She said, well, they put bread in the meat. And it reminded me, my mom used to do that same thing. Stretch that dollar, right? So I just had to order it for that reason alone. It literally felt like you were eating a tasty piece of bread between two other pieces of bread. But I digress. The photographer told me that in her world, all the local photographers were zigging and she decided to zag. I wrote that down. She changed her business model. No rigor mortis here, right? Nothing but headshots. And now people from all over the country, including yours truly, come there to get just that done by her. She is absolutely amazing, by the way. Well, let's zoom out from that for a second. Most orthopedic companies and their reps are zigging right now doing the same thing they've always done. Legacy thinking. We're starting up a series on just that topic. Why? It's our comfort zone. It's worked for decades. And along the way, I humbly suggest that rigor mortis has set in. Well, let's connect this with supply chain. Where has legacy thinking invaded our interaction with them? Well, how about avoiding purchasing because it feels like being called to the principal's office, right? How about avoiding price conversations with our surgeons, being afraid of where that conversation might go? How about trying to pad every case with upcharges? Here's an example. Yes, purchasing agent that knows nothing about orthopedics, that's not a primary 36 millimeter head. That's a revision 36 millimeter head. So it's outside the cap. 25% off list per year revision contract. We all need to stop trying to make every primary a revision and going out of our way to manipulate the caps. That's short-term thinking, as Will reminded us so eloquently on the last episode. This is a long-term business. So let's consider things like using less expensive cemented augments instead of porous augments on every revision, adding reusable items to the PO. Yes, I actually know of reps adding reusable items. Everything from troke nail lag screw drills to bone picks, bone picks to their cases. And they brag about it. I remember one rep telling the world on Cafe Pharma how he was able to build out a shoulder repair for more than a total hip. He was so proud of his discovery, even went so far as to give out catalog numbers and quantities, expecting nothing but praise and adulation from his fellow box openers. Well, what he got was roasted. So many reps just flamed him. I can't believe you put that out there. Shut up. Well, guess what? But these GPO groups are catching on to all these device hacks as they are hiring, guess who? Reps to work for them. So let's be caught doing the right thing before we get hit by the semi driven by that smiling hospital administrator looking to put fun in our funeral. Let's consider breaking out of some of these legacy mindsets. Stop zigging and consider the zag. We talked about it last week. One third of hospitals are operating in negative margins right now. You're most likely calling on one right now. So zag number one, that could mean just scheduling a visit to supply chain this week. Frame this. It's a lot easier to knock on a door than it is to be called into one. Trust me. Networking with your hospital supply chain group, not in a self-serving way, but in a quote unquote what can I do to help you way? It's going to pay dividends over the next 24 months. Trust me. Zag number two, consider scheduling an appointment with your surgeon to discuss not the most recent wear data on your implant, but pricing. 
You need to know where you are, and most importantly, they need to know where they are. As facilities are starting to track that like never before, get in front of that wave and surf it before it turns into a three-wave hold down. That happened to me one time, and I never surfed again. Be looked upon as the solution, helping your surgeon's numbers look better with some creative options. Zag number three, here's crazy. How about scheduling a meeting with you, your surgeon, and supply chain to look for ways to team up to help the hospital dig out of the hole they're in? Now we're getting nuts. Again, the rep's job is a long-term business model, and I know for a fact, many of you have your own companies breathing down your neck with demands for growth that can so easily put you in short-term business mode. There's a real temptation to try to claw back every case with upcharges or worse, hide and hope that wave just passes you by. Well, newsflash, a nurse put on our door in the OR that I work at. Ready for this profound quote? It is what it is, accept it, and move on. That's really deep, right? Well, the sooner we accept the fact that ASP is going down and that packing each case with questionable upcharges and avoiding the conversation is the solution, I think the better off we'll all be. Now, breaking out of these historical habits, it's not going to be easy. In fact, I think a little non-clinical medical representative closed manipulations over the next few weeks will be in order to get this done. Closed manipulations, truly the most horrific procedure in the orthopedic surgeon armamentarium, forcing a stiff knee into a range of motion under anesthesia elicits sounds you cannot believe. And I promise you, you don't want to hear. I saw one of these on the schedule once and asked a surgeon, hey, can I stick my head in and watch that? I've never seen it before. He said, sure. And I am filled with regret to this day as I can't unhear what happened in that room. Well, I believe to take this thing forward, it's going to take just that, literally forcing ourselves to talk to people we don't necessarily want to talk to about subjects legacy thinking doesn't want to talk about. That is short-term thinking, legacy thinking, rigor mortis thinking. And after all these cracking and popping noises have subsided, I truly believe some amazing things are going to break forth in our respective territories, as being an overtaker will necessarily involve, write this down, forcing yourself to do things that we really and truly just don't want to do. Well, our conversation with our next guest resulted in no popping and cracking noises, thankfully, and I am so excited to bring his story to the Device Nation audience. Greg Mace, thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you bringing me on here. Greg, I'm so excited to talk to you. Can't wait to ask you about credentialing, purchasing, supply chain, rep scrubs. But first, let's go back. What puts you on this path uh, to medicine? I understand that you have some box opener bona fides. Actually, I've got a long, long, probably about 25-year history in the industry. Of course, I've been on the hospital side for about a dozen years. But before that, I was actually an orthopedic rep. If you back up, I started my career in Louisville, Kentucky. I worked for what was originally a Kirshner distributor, but then he was acquired by Biomet right as I came on. So we were selling a lot of Kirshner and Biomet knees. I uh, ended up working my way down uh, toward uh, Bowling Green, moving down there because my territory was really Western Kentucky. And worked for him for about, about 11 years. Really enjoyed it. Back in the day when uh, Dane Miller had left Biomet and uh, a lot of uh, private equity was investing in it, a lot, some of the distributors we're hopping back and forth. And I might have actually moved over to Zimmer. A bunch of us moved over all in one day to Zimmer, uh, probably 19 reps in one day. 
about a week or two later, I think about all but four went back. So it was one of those back and forth phone calls all uh, for two weeks. Sure. Um, but I ended up staying with Zimmer and moving to Nashville. Had a decent territory, had about a two-year stint with them. But toward the end of the two years, it just wasn't going well, a couple different reasons. But I really didn't want to move to a third company. So I started networking all around Nashville. And as most people know, Nashville is the home of healthcare administration, right? You have HCA, you've got LifePoint, you've got CHS. And so I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just started asking for people for coffee. And one of my friends who I actually played poker with worked for a large IDN. And he set up a lunch for me with the VP of supply chain for their company. And we sat down at this uh, restaurant bar and shook his hand. First thing he said to me is, Greg, I got to tell you, I don't like reps. I go, oh, okay, let's try to get past that. And he was really super nice. He was just kind of halfway kidding, but uh, I think I presented an attitude that we'll discuss later. But uh, anyways, he ended up referring me to a couple people over into one of the GPOs. And within about two months, I actually uh, had an offer and I went into, uh, in a sense, a consulting capacity around medical device, you know, ortho, spine, biologics, trauma, even doing a lot of cardiac, cardiovascular stents, pacemakers, et cetera, like that. Spent a few years uh, in one of the HCA divisions in the supply chain. And just recently, since last fall, I was actually moved over to LifePoint Health, a large IDN that uh, manages about 56 hospitals now. And I'm over all med device strategies from contracting, physician relations, et cetera. The Kirshner performance knee. You took me back there. Oh, yeah. That, those old instrument trays, man, they were all scratched up. And I, I also remember back in the day, uh, about five years before that, Old orthopedics, my uh, distributor had sold two full instrument sets and two full implant sets into one of the hospitals in our territory. I don't think that happens anymore. No, it does not. But I definitely remember those days. So what what was your favorite part about being a rep? I really did enjoy uh, being part of a team. I, I really do. The one thing I do miss, and I think I'm away from, is, uh, is working uh, with physicians and the staff, create the best outcome possible, deep dive thinking with physicians on revisions, and trying to find different options and presenting solutions. I really felt like I was in my wheelhouse for a while there. Toward the end of it, uh, one of the physicians, when I was talking about our total knees, looked at me and said, Greg, you know, they're all the same. I almost had a little mini heart attack, um, <laughs> you know, because that's not what we do when we sell. But uh, I think that's the kind of the catch 22 these days is, are, are they all the same? You know, the outcome's the same. How's the differences really between all the different products? That had to have been a very unique perspective to function as a rep and then move across the table to the supply chain side. What was that like? Well, uh, it took me a while because uh, a lot of people didn't give me the time of day or give me too much credit when I was in larger meetings. I would talk a lot and people would just kind of roll their eyes. I think the whole rep attitude or the rep persona, they, they stuck with me for a while. Um, especially at the administrative level, there's still kind of a misunderstanding of really what a rep does and the, and the knowledge that's it takes to be a rep and the value that's created. And so I think I had to, you know, make my bones on the supply chain side before anybody really kind of started trusting me and started like being open to my opinions. So that, that was tough for a while. Yeah, you, know, you brought up that point. I don't like reps. And I've seen that acted out over years. I, I was remembering back when I first started, uh, the purchasing agent that I worked the most with, her name was Cindy. We were good friends. I would have done anything for her. I, I drove hours sometimes to find things for her, even if it had nothing to do with my company. If they were in trouble, I was there to help her in any way possible. And then something happened years later where it just became completely adversarial and the purchasing people seemed to go out of their way to make my life miserable 
and the the lives of the reps miserable that worked at the hospital. I was just wondering, did we bring that upon ourselves? Is it something they're telling them to do at the meetings? Or was it just an isolated incident in an area that I worked in? What's your thoughts? No, I think across the board, most reps are probably experiencing that there because it's usually the the, the 5% or the 10% that create the problem for the rest of them, I think, uh, that we've discussed. Um, I, I've got story after story where, uh, you know, something happened in a facility, something erupted or some incident that happened, and it bubbled up into the administrative level. And so that's usually when administration hears about reps, that's the only time they hear about them, right, is when there's a problem, when there's an issue. That's true. Um, I've got one example. Um, recently, we had a, one of our rural hospitals. The physician uh, was using some uh, probably revision components in primaries for a while. Um, so we looked down, it was, it was very expensive needs for primaries. And then all of a sudden he had two fractures toward the end of the year and ended up using a, a newer manufacturer that does segmental knees. And it was, there was a $30,000 case and a $40,000 case, both in the same month for this small hospital. And that pretty much ruined the budget for the hospital for the whole year. And I'm pretty sure that the administrators probably didn't get their bonuses that year. Wow. So, uh, of course, that bubbled all the way up to our level, our corporate level division CFOs, everybody's hearing that story. And of course, they don't hear all the other hard work that gets done out there in the quiet that nobody really recognizes. So that's why I think the administrators have that kind of attitude about reps. They just, they don't hear the good stories. I guess we got to figure out a way to, to tell them a good story, right? Indeed we do, sir. Well, before we get away from that topic, anything else that you want to share with the uh, reps listening of what they, they shouldn't be doing? Yes. Um, I think the, you know, uh, Selling directly to doctors without getting purchasing involved, kind of giving them the heads up, similar to those two uh, oncology segmental needs that were done without anybody telling anybody ahead of time. Oh, by the way, it's going to be a $30,000 case here tomorrow. Just kind of, you know, kind of bringing things into the back door. Also, getting physicians stirred up about, you know, using non-contract stuff. Uh, there's nothing a CFO hates more than a physician coming through his door, busting past his admin and lighting him up. Because he can't use some product that, that brand new and shiny and new to the market that hasn't really been able to go through the back committee or whatever like that. But CFO, I think, feels like it's that rep that got it all stirred up. It was all because of, because of him or her and that, that kind of stuff. So that's, I think, why you uh, still see the animosity and, and it growing because uh, I think the CFOs then push it down through the supply chain folks um, and, and expect them to hold the line even stronger. I had a scrub tech one time that helped out in purchasing because somebody was out sick and she told me the story of a, a billing that came through and she said, you know what? Purchasing people might have missed this, but it was a four-hole plate with 27 screws and they did a little digging and the rep was trying to make his numbers with that one case. <laughs> what about stuff like that? You, you ever see things like that happen? Oh yeah, there's actually, a, I've seen two incidents here in Nashville where uh, it's the same actually CMF surgeon they do a lot of look backs on their cases on their x-rays and somebody brought them to the fact that how many screws he was using. And so they actually pulled up the x-rays from the last 10 cases they did. And the rep had charged about three times the amount of screws versus what they counted on the x-rays. Wow. Um, of course that rep has been, you know, summarily dismissed from that hospital, but, uh, those are the kind of things. Everybody's heard the story about, you know, the Ethicon sutures in the ceiling and things like that as well, too. So that, that's kind of the stories that we hear. What is it about those ceiling tiles that call so many reps' names? Well, we've talked about what not to do. Any advice to reps on what they should be doing to put on a more professional face to purchasing? Yes, I always coach our supply chain folks to uh, expect 
the professionalism out of these reps. So when a new product is brought to a physician or to a facility, uh, the expectation would be that uh, we would be given the clinical backing, brochures, uh, product numbers, IDs, and pricings and descriptions. Uh, a lot of times it's like pulling teeth just to get that basic information out of the reps when we're trying to get this evaluated and even through the VAT committees or the value analysis committees. And so we should at least expect a professionalism at that level to where, you know, treat us on the face, deal with us in the face and, and bring us the information. Because if it is clinically relevant and it's going to add value to our patients, most people are going to support it. Most teams are going to approve those products. If it's just a if this is just a cost add-on or a me too product, that's going to be a little bit difficult. And that's where I think you need to evaluate your products. Is this really a me too? And if so, you know, I would always say match the price and, and go win the argument with the physician, you know, say, Hey, I'm, I'm the same cost, but you should use mine because of this. If it is truly revolutionary, then I think you will get a, a good opportunity to present your case but again, present it in a professionalism like I, I described. Yeah, you brought up using the surgeon as the fullback to punch a hole through the line. If the ideal is the rep and the surgeon and supply chain working together to bring value to the hospital, what would that look like practically? I think uh, just kind of like you described, uh, surgeons hate value analysis committees. Most of them. You know, it's kind of like a gatekeeper for us sometimes Right. to where, you know, doc says, hey, I want to use this new product. And, da, 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 da. and I say, well, OK. Find if you don't just don't mind just attend this meeting uh, here next week and present your case and halfway through that sentence I'll be like ah no nah, I really don't need that product and that, so it kind of keeps about half of the products out of the way um, so if you guys are, as a rep can kind of do that uh, not blocking and tackling but you know scouting for the for the physician presenting the information understanding what the, the officers are going to be and make it as easy as possible and that way uh, you're an asset to him and you're also an asset to the supply chain. So that's, to me, the best description of, of collaborating. We're rarely going to be all in the same room, but uh, we can all be dealing on the same sheet of music, I guess you might say. Any final advice to the reps listening that may have a product that brings a lot of value to the facility, but they just can't seem to bust it through that value analysis wall? Well, it depends on the facility and the committee, of course. I've seen uh, very functional ones, and I've seen some that are just established to delay and, and draw things out as long as possible until somebody maybe just forgets about it. Right. Um, but if you can get to know the chief medical officer, maybe in a facility, uh, other clinical leaders like that who are going to participate, usually a, a CFO is going to kind of chair that committee. So the more people you can kind of get to know and develop those personal relationships with, you'll get more information about what's going on, when the committee meetings are, is it on the agenda, things like that. Of course, the supply chain director um, is involved as well, too, and you want to make sure they're in the loop and don't go above their head. But I think the more communication you can have throughout that administration, I know it's more work, but I think it's going to provide you more feedback as well, too. Well, it gets back to that word you brought up at the beginning of our conversation, networking. Oh, yes. Um, that's something that uh, I, I, I believe in. Uh, if it wasn't for networking, I would not be in the role I'm in now, which I, I really, truly do love. And so I always tell people, if you lose your job, it's too late to start networking. You always need to be networking. Well, Greg, no big shocker here, but I'm a huge Three Stooges fan. And one of my favorite scenes is when Mo slaps Larry, Larry slaps Curly, and Curly turns around. There's nobody left to slap. And I think a lot of reps feel that way right now. Everything from having to pay for multiple vendor credentialing companies, parking, rep scrubs, having to pay to get your product on value analysis committee. It just seemingly never ends. 
Let's tick off a few things that people in the audience have had questions about. Let's start with vendor credentialing. I understand the why. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand is, is the hospital using that as a profit center? So I remember that as rep too. I think it had about 10 different systems I had to go through paying all that money. Um, I will tell you, it is not a profit center. It's not something that would ever change the budget in the hospital. Um, are there fees charged? Yes. Kickback. I, we, 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 uh, we don't pay anything necessarily to the system, but we don't receive anything back. I know uh, some other systems have developed their own, so they may make a little, but it's not a profit center. It's not a way to make money. Uh, but I will tell you, in our corporate building, we have a whole half of a floor that's all compliance people, lawyers and, and compliance uh, directors, et cetera. And so we're, as a hospital company, held to a certain standard. And it has uh, an outside entity, these like your, the reps we're talking to, uh, coming into our facilities, coming into our ORs. Um, we are held to a certain standard of compliance from a legal standpoint. Of course, you can blame the lawyers like like it caused most of our world's problems. And that's why that is all in place. Um, yes, they're, they're onerous. Yes, they're crazy. Maybe there should be a clearinghouse. Um, it'd be great if there was a AdvaMed or some sort of national single one from my perspective because it's frustrating for everybody. But uh, it, it's more on a compliance basis. So, no, it's, they don't do it just to make an extra money or even just to be a jerk to the reps. But it is, I think, uh, more from a lawyer standpoint. I totally get that. You brought up a good point earlier just about feeling part of the team. And I remember when they started with the Red Hats, it started to feel less like a team, that I really wasn't uh, part of the service as much as I thought I was. And and it started this process of isolation. And I know a lot of reps almost feel alienated in some facilities. And uh, my mom always told me, you catch a lot more flies with honey. What are your thoughts on this, this whole, okay, reps with different scrubs, different hats, and uh, just creating um, a a level of separation there. Do you think the the facility ends up winning ultimately doing stuff like that or any thoughts? Uh, it's kind of difficult because it, uh, especially at busy facilities, um, having so much traffic through the OR, uh, they've right. got to figure out a way to kind of control that traffic in some ways. You know, I remember back in the old days, one of the, you know, uh, uh, some of the best times to catch a doc was in the, in the physician's lounge or something like that. That's so, true. Uh, you know, that's hard to do these days, again, from a compliance standpoint. I'm not a big fan of all that stuff. I think there there should be some control controls in place, either through the rep tracks or um, you know, the red hats are kind of an extreme. I'm not a fan of the, the disposable scrubs. I think that is even alienating more. But I back up to the administrator level. The only time they ever hear about reps is when there's a problem, when there's been a, a big charge or a big discrepancy or even even, you know, at times fraud issues that have happened over the past. Again, they're very, very rare, but it does happen. And that's all you hear about. So, I mean, if, if I was going to kind of coach back, uh, I would try to uh, present yourself as a, as a collaborator and uh, get to know some of those administrators as much as possible. And that's going to hopefully soften that blow. But I think, again, in the world of uh, lawyers and, and lawsuits, uh, you're going to have to have some sort of control. To your point right there, I think uh, some of what we're struggling with is a self-inflicted wound because – we haven't spent time cultivating those relationships in a positive way with supply chain. All they're hearing is negative, so then we all get painted with the same brush. And just like elementary school, the one kid spoils it for the whole class, right? Yes, yeah, so, you know I would, you know, try to expand your thinking too in this, this modern world. Uh, if you're going to make a big fan of a hospital administrator, if the product that you're selling or the service that you're bringing 
is actually going to grow their business, just like growing the positions business, right? Um, marketing is always hard because it's hard to co-market. But if there's something, some new technique, some reason that there's a value add um, that can be presented out there, um, they're going to listen because, as you know, uh, you know, more cases means more revenue means covers a lot of ills in that hospital. So see if you can get creative and find ways to be that business partner as well as that vendor. Vendor. Let's talk about dual vendor for a moment. A lot of reps gnashing their teeth out there being the victim of dual vendor contracts. I've had people ask me since the majority of these surgeries are funded by tax dollars, is that antitrust? Is it legal to do dual vendor? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm sure you do. I wouldn't think so. Um, that's kind of why you have uh, group purchasing organizations, which, uh, you know, uh, you can, that's a whole other topic we talk about, but they actually have a safe harbor in the law that allows them to bundle their purchasing together um, to get more value out of the vendors, of course, um, you know, by larger purchasing, larger commitments. And so that process has been going on for, for decades where uh, if they can offer larger commitments to two vendors versus, uh, you know, 10, then they're going to get better discount discounting out of it. So that's where I pointed out earlier, the whole me too product or, I don't like to use the word generic. Uh, we use the term stable technologies. So I'll point out spine, for instance, you know, pedicle screws, rods, most inner bodies. Um, they are very stable technology. And it's very difficult to make the argument that a physician couldn't use everything they need from two vendors or something like that. So, no, I, there are no legal issues. It's actually I think they're kind of protected by law to be able to do that, especially in healthcare. But that's where you've got to find that those products out there that aren't the stable technologies and can maybe add value to patient care. You know, one of the things that's going on in reconstruction, it's been going on in spine for a while. It's just a lot of disruptive technologies. I saw a peak femoral component, which will totally blow up the cost curve. But then you come back to group purchasing, dual vendor. Uh, where is the role in the middle of all this for the independent reps? Because a lot of this technology and these these cost curve bending constructs are coming from the smaller companies that are not part of the HPG contract and, and health trust and all that. Where where do you see that going? How do they find a place at the table? I get you, and I really do cheer on those smaller companies because I found some great uh, local deals that we've been able to make where physicians were engaged with it as well. Our problem really is implementing those dual vendor strategies at a corporate level, just because it's still such a physician preference item. As much as it may be stable technology, uh, you know, uh, back to my, my orthopedic surgeon friend who told me, oh, they're all the same. You know, uh, it's more of a familiarity, right? Um, I don't know if you, those that have ever converted physicians over to their hip or to their knee, that first five cases is always quite the, you know, pins and needles because you want everything to go well. And, you know, you're kind of worried about the patient, making sure, you know, that patient's going to do okay. And that's why physicians hate to change because they've got to they get used to the same thing. They know it got, has great outcomes and they know that learning curve to change is going to be very difficult. So for us to drive dual vendor from a corporate level down is, you know, some facilities have done it. Some IDNs have done it. Um, I see it still as very difficult without uh, other incentives in place, either physicians being employed, or now there's some rumors out there that star clause have been changing. Uh, as you know, facilities they'll get in a lot of trouble if they ever pay a physician to bring their business to the hospital. But as star clause change, can they participate in the savings? 
to the hospital. And that's where you may start seeing more and more opportunities for those small vendors to be able to come in at a value price, present an equitable product. But the physician, in a sense, because their quality stays the same, their outcomes stay the same, they can actually participate financially in those savings. That would be the shot heard around the world and would change everything. Do you think it makes more sense for a facility just to say, hey, we don't care what you use this is what we're going to pay, or does it make more sense to limit vendors in a facility, or is it something that's case by case? Well, that's a push me pull me because the first scenario, what we would call a, a cat strategy, right? Right. You know, we're paying this for a femoral component, this for a tibial component. I don't care. But you know who hates you the most on that one is Central Sterile, because next thing you know, you got five different trays coming in for the next day's cases, okay. right? Uh, it's more efficient uh, for a hospital for surgery, Central Sterile, to go single vendor, go dual vendor. And you get value both ways. You can get lots of savings. But I know one big IDN who has that cap strategy in spine. And I think they have over 130 vendors selling spine in their hospitals. <laughs> wow. I told some you know stories about reps and issues and problems. You mind if I tell a story about you know some good experiences with, with reps I've had? Please do. So I'll, one in particular, uh, there's a instrument set that's used by a lot of spine surgeons. And new spine surgeon comes to a hospital, they're, they're, they're looking to buy whatever he or she wants just because, you know, spine brings value to the hospital. Every time I get the quote from, from this large national vendor, it's very expensive. It's list price. And I've got a vendor friend who sells an equitable retractor product. And she'll give me, I'll send her into the hospital and she'll quote it probably at about half the cost. And what do you know about a week later, that national vendor drops their cost down to what she had quoted to it, and they end up usually buying from the national vendor. And she goes through this process with me probably about five or ten times in the last few years and never gets the business. But you know what? I send her every bit of other business I can because she's a collaborator. And she helps me with that. And she keeps me in connection with all that stuff that's going on there. So uh, I know that's kind of an extreme example because it's unique, but I appreciate those collaborations I have when they look out for me and I look out for them. You talked about 130 vendors for Spine. This is my crazy idea. Do you think there's any value to linking all of these independent, smaller companies under one umbrella that can go to an HPG or a health trust and, and present as a single entity and bring some real purchasing power on that front? Because uh, as it stands now, it's just the rep here or rep there. It's, it's very fragmented and the ability to get on some of these larger buying group contracts is is pretty much impossible. Does that make any sense? It does. I mean, spine is still kind of its own animal um, because uh, it's really easy to go design a pedicle screw and then farm it out to a third party contract manufacturer and have them make it for you. Um, so uh, getting all those on the same page would be tough. That's where the cap strategy comes from. It's like, you know, you don't really need to be on contract. You just got to meet the cap. But I do see... Uh, Going going to the GPO, unless you have a certain level of business, they're not going to have the time for you. You know, unless you're, it's kind of a catch-22. Unless you're noisy out there, um, then they're going to pay attention to you. But I do see on the local level is where that opportunity is, is always going to be there. If you bring value to a hospital with the same equitable-type product and, and great outcomes for the patient, you're going to uh, you're going to get an audience from the administrator every day. So. Bundling it at that higher level uh, is going to be tough unless you can actually demonstrate a, a certain uh, dollar volume of spend. Does that make sense? Yeah, very much so. So I'd like to pivot over to LinkedIn for a minute. I've got questions from surgeons and reps that they wanted me to throw your way. 
One surgeon asks, price versus surgeon choice, which is more important? How do you navigate both factors when it comes to patient care? So I think it's kind of both and, right? We've got to take both into consideration. You know, it depends on how much price, right? How much more? Is this an incremental 5% more than what he, he or she was doing in the past? Is it 50% or double? Um, we've got to take into account reimbursement as well, too. Uh, is this cost going to be covered? Um, facilities sometimes are willing to lose, even lose money on the case, as long as the overall value is still there collaborating with that physician and, and that service line. So, again, it's really hard to say either or. Um, smart administrators are going to take all of that into account because, you know, we get without good patient care, without good patient outcomes, hospitals are going to get are not going to have good reputations, not going to have good business. So they need to look at it all. It's just more of the shock value sometimes that things come in where, you know, Margins are already slim on, I'll give you an example, total ankles. Hospitals probably lose money on most every total ankle out there. But you know what? That foot and ankle surgeon does a lot of business in the hospital, um, a lot of you know, little figure places, that and the other. They're going to be willing to kind of collaborate on that. But at some point, kind of like the old reverse shoulder days, that's going to have to come down. Right. Um, but hopefully they're looking at the whole picture. That's a smart way to go. How do you enforce compliance with regards to limited vendor agreements, uh, Rep asked? Well, it depends on who's watching the score, right? Uh, <laughs> right. You know, uh, sometimes it's, you know, a report coming out on a monthly basis. That's some of, some of the stuff that I do on a regular basis to monitor more on the cardiac side, our compliance, make sure that we're meeting our contract commitments. But one of the disparate issues right now uh, we have is, is getting our data right, right? We've got purchasing systems, we've got EMRs, we've got payment systems, and none of those really, really talk. So how do we actually analyze our, our, our utilization efficiently? You know, I'm working with a company right now that's uh, hopefully going to start digitizing some of the implant orders that go through the system, be able to push some of the analytics out ahead of time so we'll be able to tell how many levels of spine were performed in this procedure. Was this a uni need? Was this a revision knee, was this a porous knee, that kind of stuff. So it really will help us analyze both, you know, a vendor commitment level, but also get into the detail a lot more, which now takes hours and hours of, of analytics work. Great question, a rep threw out there. How do you effectively evaluate and discern between competitors and their products? Can you walk us through your decision-making process specific to hip and knee implants in RFPs? So, uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that we've had success in uh, standardizing or doing an RFP with uh, a couple of different vendors and choosing a couple of different vendors for our physicians to go to. But I go back to it's still very physician preference. And unless there is some uh, collaboration on their side, either from finding efficiencies in the, in the hospital by all going to one vendor or so, I have not been real successful in, in driving that kind of uh, one or two vendor scenario, especially in hip and knees. So that's a tough question. I mean, it's really going to be driven by the physicians. Uh, we want them to use what's best in their hands, and uh, we're going to try to, if that's so, then we're going to try to do, get our best deal we can with those the vendors that they choose. It is the unique scenario where you have a physician participate on those RFP committees and uh, help evaluate. When I was in my previous role, we actually had an orthopedic and a spine committee that uh, we would bring new products to and new ideas to, but we also use the committees for clinical things like uh, post-op order sets and pain management protocols, things like that. So we weren't just talking to them about supply chain, um, but that's the kind of collaboration hopefully we're going to get to be able to get to in the future more and more 
have the participants be aware of their costs and participate in the buying decisions. I hope that answered somewhat. So, Greg, what advice here in 2022 would you give to surgeons? What could they be doing better to get their wants across the finish line and to work collaboratively with purchasing? Uh, Obviously, screaming at people, it it may work in the short run, but then people go passive aggressive on you when you alienate them like that. uh, What what can they be doing? I'd say first and foremost is to to be aware of your cost. Um, I think all as reps out there have known in the past, most docs just really don't know what it costs. In the old school days, we didn't want them want them to know, right? Right. Um, so if, if you're aware of what your cost per case or cost per implant is, maybe even compared to your peers, are you are you make, helping the hospital make some margin on this procedure? That's that way, that way, when you do have the product, you do have the patient that needs that uh, Cadillac, needs that Porsche. Um, they're not going to blink. They're going to allow you to, to use what is is better for that patient. So you're not, uh, in a sense, the, uh, the boy crowd wolf constantly. Well, you know, every time you need the new technology, well, that's going to be, that's going to fall on deaf ears. So they're going to be, have a lot more collaboration. Um, by, you know, I would say go ask for your cost. You know, Hey, I want to know what this cost per case is. I know, I want to know how I stand. Cause if not, you are being measured. The numbers are there. Uh, I had a physician going back to this company that we're working with, uh, doing the di- digital implant forms. He said, Greg, you're just going to use this to, to cost profile me. And I said, well, doc, we, we already are cost profiling. It's just harder to do. And this is real time data. And I'd be, I want to be able to share it with you. I want to be able to show you on a real time basis, uh, what's going on in your OR. So you can help, hopefully make the best clinical decisions for your patients. You think there might be some value to a surgeon just dropping into purchasing once in a while and saying, how are things going? Uh, anything we can be doing? What, what can I be looking at uh, just to create that relationship, cr- create that that sense of goodwill? Do you think that would pay off? Uh, that, that's a great suggestion. I would say that either the OR materials manager probably is your first point of contact, uh, supply chain director, those kind of people, just to know them and have them know you would be very positive. You know, and that's kind of like a sales rep. Uh, that way, once your value now, your product comes through value analysis, it may come to the front of the line more. It may get a little bit more attention because – um, they know that you care uh, either both about them, but also about what, what your costs are and you're making good clinical and business decisions for everybody. I've often seen these relationships as ATM machines and people routinely try to make withdrawals having made zero deposits. And I can certainly see some value there for the surgeon just making an effort to make uh, make a deposit in the bank once in a while. What can reps be doing to, to make sure that, that they're making good deposits in that ATM machine? Well, I'd start with the, the surgeons. I, I know everybody, uh, all reps are really focused mostly on their physicians, which is appropriate uh, in a certain capacity. But I would be the value, the uh, business partner with your physician uh, to say, um, you know, doc, you're using this uh, super porous item on all your patients you know, I, I say in some, if you could you know, a subset of your patients use this other item that probably has clinical outcomes that are equivalent, but it's about half the cost. Well, you know, that's a pariah in the old days of sales, right? I'm not going to lower my sales volume, but if you can present yourself as a, uh, as a business partner with your physician and, and keep, uh, keep eyes and ears out for him on those kind of issues, he or she is going to want you back more because you're going to be a collaborator in that world. So that, that's one big point I always try to coach reps on is, is be a business partner and not just a sales rep. Um, I would say the same thing with the facility. Um, transparency, uh, asking lots of questions about how you're doing, asking for evaluations. 
ask them what you do better. Uh, in any world, uh, that's going to improve, but that's going to create empathy with the staff, with administrators, the more you can do that. And I, and I go back to what I said earlier, too. Do your best to try to know who uh, those administrators are, who the CMO is, um, as much as you can in your facility. That's a great idea, uh, kind of coming at it from the opposite angle of selling a revision need for every primary need, but maybe approaching a surgeon and saying for these low-demand patients that we're doing, uh, we offer this option just to help his or her numbers look better, right? Yeah. And back to what I said about the physician, um, that allows you to maybe sell a premium product at other times too. So it, it creates more room in the budget, let's just say, for, for uh, new products. Great advice. Any parting comments before we close up shop? No, but Kevin, I do appreciate what you do. Um, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I, I really love hearing from some of the surgeons that I've uh, heard from over the years on podiums and stuff, and some of them I even, even knew personally. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. I think a lot of people are really enthused by uh, the communication that's going on. But I would like to take that thing we were talking about before to the next level. Let's figure out a way to get surgeons, administrators, and, and reps in the same room and talk about how that collaboration could continue, what we could do to try to grow that, come up with some brainstorming ideas. I think it'd be great. Thank you for the kind words, Craig. And you know what? To your point about working together, I love that quote from Henry Ford. If everyone is moving forward together, then success takes care of itself. And I'm a firm believer that you're onto something here that if reps can just get out of self-interest, because I think it's going to be up to us to kind of facilitate this and to lead that conversation because we're connected with both of those parties and that as we get out of ourselves and out of our quota and just how can we serve the surgeon, how can we serve supply chain and then bringing those two parties together to move forward together, I, I think our success is going to take care of itself. Yeah, I feel very blessed to uh, been given the chance to be uh, on both sides of the fence, as you might say. And so I really hope I get the chance to maybe give back more and uh, uh, collaborate with folks like you, other surgeons, other reps, and figure out ways to change healthcare. You know, they always say healthcare is like a battleship. It takes it the slowest turn in the world, right? Yeah. How do we figure out new models um, and ways to create more value for uh, all involved, especially the patients? Huge thank you, Greg Mays, for pulling back that curtain, giving us a peek at what's going on behind there, the curtain called supply chain, and handing out some sage advice along the way. I love how he summed it up there because I think it's very appropriate to what we're doing to change healthcare is going to involve looking at new models to create more value for all parties involved, especially the patient. So when I look at that big ship and how hard it is to turn it, since I believe anything is possible, I really do believe that we as medical device reps can play a part in changing it. How? By looking at what we've been doing and this business model that's been going on for 60 years, throwing away legacy thinking, except when it's appropriate, and looking for ways to create more value for all parties involved, especially the patient. Not only do I believe that change is possible, it may take a close manipulation to get us there. But I also believe given the current business of medicine climate we find ourselves in, it is imperative. Don't get overwhelmed that there's some big decision you have to figure out that's going to change the face of healthcare in your personal territory. No, it's not going to be like that at all. It's going to be the result of a bunch of reps making small one-degree changes to their business model, kind of the inverse 
of that one in 60 rule in aviation. My son told me about this the other day. It was kind of cool. For every one degree a plane veers off its course, it misses its target destination by one mile for every 60 miles of flight. Really adds up on a circumnavigation, doesn't it? So to that point, and to tie up this whole thing, I think we're going to need to consider veering one degree here, one degree there to actually stay on course, because I firmly believe if we continue to do this job as we've always done it, we could actually find ourselves 500 miles off course five years down the road. Exciting news, by the way, I don't ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Device Nation is looking for new models to bring more value to all parties involved, especially you, the listener. And we have an incredible announcement to that end next episode. You're going to want to hang around for that one. I hope you have an awesome week. I hope you're successful at everything you put your hands to and look forward to being with you next time. 